Welcome to the Quilt Shop Podcast, where we talk with quilt and sewing retailers from all across the country about the challenges of running their business and how they succeed. I'm your host, Spencer Wright. Welcome back to the Quilt Shop Podcast. I have Lori McAlpin with me from Quilt Central Studio located in Green Valley, Arizona. Uh, Lori, how are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Good. Good. Well, um, for, I guess for those who listen on a more consistent basis, um, we took a break last month kind of during the summer, um, but I am super excited to be back here with Lori and um, how better to rebound than to record with someone from Southern Arizona who has summer like all year round, basically, right, Lori? <laughs> <laughs> we actually got it snow dusting last year. We moved um, to get out of the snow and yes, last year, two or three times I woke up to snow on my car and I'm like, what? What is this? <laughs> wow. I did not realize that you could get snow. It's that a dusting. And we certainly don't need snow removal equipment, but it's still kind of a surprise to wake up to it. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, Lori, I wanted to kind of talk about, I mean, at the very least, we'd love to kind of get an intro on who you are, you know, how you got to, uh, you know, I guess Green Valley and, and opening up a shop there. Well, back in the mid-90s, I uh, started quilting. I, my grandmother was a quilter. She was uh, the ultimate scrap quilter. She, um, of course, went through the Depression and everything. So she, when I was in high school and college, she was still using scraps that, from when my mom was in high school and making clothes, and my mom and her sister. And we would have these quilts. Every year, she would, she would kind of rotate between her kids who gets a big quilt for Christmas every year she would make one big quilt pretty much handmade and um, that after Christmas dinner that quilt would come out and my mom and my aunt would stand there and go oh, that that piece there was a blouse that I made and that piece there was a skirt and stuff and so um, I really grew up with the appreciation the workmanship, everything of quilting. It was just, it was something that we all appreciated my grandmother's quilts and, and we didn't fight for them, but we really all just so appreciated, was so happy when it was our turn to get one of grandma's quilts. Um, so when my kids were little, I, I decided I wanted to get into quilting. When my, my oldest started kindergarten. I dropped her off at kindergarten, went down to the local quilt shop, bought some fabric, bought. I was very lucky. The, the first book I picked out had some very, very good um, instructions for beginning quilters. And I kind of taught myself the first couple of quilts that I did, um, just kind of reading from this book. And it, I, it was just kind of at that point born. And, um, by the time my kids were in about third and fourth grade, I was working at the local quilt shop. And this was in Sacramento, California. And um, worked there several years. Then so we moved to Colorado. Um, I had told, I had become friends with the owner of the quilt store. And I had told her that, you know, I never knew these reps, seeing these reps coming and going. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that was a job. I said, I love to travel. I love to shop hop this would be a perfect job for me. And, you know, and she gave me a little background at, you know, how it can be hard to get into and that you, you can't do with just one line. You have to have multiple lines to 
pay all the bills and everything. And then when I moved to Colorado, worked in a uh, quilt shop in Colorado for a couple of years. And then I got an email from one of my coworkers back in Sacramento saying that, oh, well, um, somebody's advertising that they're looking for a rep in your area. So put in my put in a resume and within a week or 10 days, I was on the, on the ground. I was running and, and repping. Um, I, that was uh, blank quilting years ago, back when it was owned by the blank family still. And then after about a year and a half and quickly realizing, yes, you can't do it with just one line and everything. Um, then comes E. Shank looking for a rep in our territory. So I interviewed for that, started repping for E. Shank and just love working for him. That's a fabulous company. Um, Stan's a great guy to work with. Um, so I, I worked there in Colorado. My territory was Colorado, Nebraska, a little bit of Kansas, Wyoming. Did that for five years. Then my husband got a job back in Pennsylvania, so we up and moved to Pennsylvania. Well, it turns out Shank needed a rep in Pennsylvania, New York, so started, started that. Um, being back there, I told him, you know, I also want to carry other lines and ultimately ended up carrying a lot of lines. I had I had everything from Riley Brake and and Free Spirit and Shannon and just on and on the list was huge. And um, my territory started out Pennsylvania, New York. It quickly grew. I guess over the years it grew to where I had a total of seven states. And so I was running all through yes Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Maryland, Delaware, Virginia, and West Virginia. So I was on the road a lot. It was great. Um, during, during the lockdown, I was home doing this, doing uh, Zoom calls and, and stuff, and uh, still stayed busy, still, still, you know, working with my customers. I love working with the customers, helping the customers design, decide what projects, what kits, what block of months, whatever. I love doing that. I love being on the road. Um, then my my parents moved from Sacramento to Southern California. We went uh, to visit them back in 2020 um, for the holidays to see the new house and everything. My husband and I really loved, fell in love with this area and decided it was time to live by family again because all my family was in uh, the West Coast. So by the end of 2020, we were here. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm gonna continue repping. I'm just gonna wait for some lines to, to become available. And um, when I started talking to people around here, I, you know, moving here, I knew that there had been two quilt shops and there weren't any currently. And usually um, going to a small town and having had two quilt shops and none, that's not a good, you know, there's not enough support usually. Well, talking to the people, I found out that there was one shop that did really well for years, and then she just, she retired. She had hit the end. She had been there, done that, and was just done. She had retired. And then a couple of years later, another woman opened a store. She was doing quite well, but then died unexpectedly uh, about six years ago, and that was into her shop. So it that kind of gave me a couple of reasonable explanations and thinking, okay, this area will support a quilt shop, we'll um, it, we can make it happen. And it had been something since my 
kids were very, very young. I had talked about and thrown around, but never actually pulled the. All right. As many of you know, uh, it's very common to face technical difficulties in a world like this. Um, so anyways, we're just going to pick off, uh, pick up where we left off with Lori. Um, I think the internet maybe last trailed when Lori was kind of speaking about, uh, getting to Arizona, asking around, um, you know, as far as looking for other fabric lines and stuff like that. So if you just want to kind of pick up where you left off, we'd love to kind of finish your, you know, background story. Cause I love hearing people's background stories. Yeah. So, so yeah, when we got first got to Arizona, I was sending out my resume to some of the companies that I'd never worked with, the companies that I did work with. They said, yes, we would definitely hire you back if the person that has that territory resigns or moves on or whatever. But uh, within a couple of months, talking to neighbors, talking to people I'm meeting and stuff, they, everybody kept saying how much they wanted a quilt shop here, that we used to have two quilt shops. And now um, there aren't any, the last quilt shop, the, the woman, um, she passed away unexpectedly and basically it just left a hole in this, this little community. We're about um, 12 to 15 miles south of Tucson and up in Tucson, there are a couple of quilt shops, but because of the layout in Tucson, it could take 45 minutes to get there. It is, uh, heck of a drive through traffic and cross town and everything. So, you know, people kept saying how much they would love to have a quilt shop. We have a lot of guilds here because we have, a, this is very much a retirement community. So a lot of the different HOAs have guilds. Uh, every church has a quilting group with the town itself has a guild. It's just, there, there's just so much down here that uh, after a couple of months, I looked at my husband, I said, you know, we do have access to this beautiful building um, why do we want to do this? You know, I've thought of, for the years, over the years, ever since my, I started back in the mid nineties, I've always kind of had in the back of my mind, maybe at some point I'll, I'll open a store. As I was repping, I'd see things in the store and go, Oh, if I ever had a store, I want to do that. And oh, if I had a store, that's a great idea. You know, and kind of just, I wish I'd even kept better notes. <laughs> um, but it, it, two years ago, basically this, this week, it was the 1st of November that I went to the owner of this building and said, look, we're, we want to rent the building. We want to open a quilt shop. So um, immediately just hit the ground running, got cabinets from Ikea, built weeks of building cabinets and painting and just getting the store ready. And um, between November 1st and January 1st, we made it happen. We opened up January 3rd. Uh, of 21 and we've been just running ever since it is it has been a great great ride the community does love the store it it's been very just a fabulous thing now we are in such a retirement community in southern arizona that we have snowbirds we have we lose about 60 percent of our population oh wow from may they're just now beginning to come back. October, they'll uh, a good chunk will come back, and then January one, it's just they all are here, and it's it's crazy. It will just hit the ground running January one and run through the end of April, and then May, they pretty much turn off the lights as they leave town. <laughs> it's just all of a sudden it just goes quiet again, and it during the summer it's 
it's scary. We've, we've now had two summers and it is scary. It is just, it's very quiet. We do continue having classes um, and that helps bring some people in, but it it's, it's something we're still just getting used to the ebb and flow of this business. I think there's a couple of things that are really interesting there. One is the kind of the seasonality of quilting, mm -hmm. right? And And we see kind of the seasonality of quilting really affects shops all across the United States. Yes. But I think it's probably even more like disproportionately affecting you guys as you have snowbirds. I actually, I moved here to Utah from Southwest Florida um, and very, very heavy snowbird community, you know, big loss in population during the summer. Mm -hmm. um, and it really does affect local businesses, you know, and, and business owners have to try to figure out what do I do for half the year, say, if there's, you know, not nearly as many clients, right? And so I think that is something that people are dealing with, uh, especially during these, you know, kind of summer months. And, and luckily, right now, you know, it's it's September, we're moving into October. Um, and these are going to be some of the best months of the year for, um, you know, a lot of our, our shops. And, and, and that's always a really positive thing. Yeah. But then, you know, it flip flops, right? And so how do you combat that? Um, the next thing I wanted to kind of talk about with you is, um, I've met a ton of amazing fabric reps uh, across the United States, and I have always wondered, you know, what would a shop that they opened look like? Right? Yes. Because they, yeah. they do so much consulting, right? Yes. They're saying, hey, you know, you could pair these lines or, yes. you know, you need more of this, um, you know, type of fabric or, or you need more notions or whatever, right? And um, so for me, I think one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the podcast is because I was excited to hear from someone who's literally been strategizing with people for many years, and now you're doing it on your own. Um, and, and tell me a little bit about um, how you've kind of used the strategy that you learned as a sales rep to open up your store. Well, pretty much since day one, I, I've said it is a whole different world sitting on this side of the table. I always met the store owners and I sat on that side of the table saying, oh, there's this line, isn't it beautiful? And this is great and this is great. And they're all, yes, it's all so great. And, you know, people would come in and go, how do you just, how do you choose? And, and so now I'm, I'm on the other side of the table going, I've got this budget. You've got to stay within this budget. You, um, it, it's hard. There's no doubt about it. This, this is hard. <laughs> um, we, I knew going in that I've always been more of a bright, whimsical, um, the, the fabrics I'm drawn to, very bright, very whimsical. Uh, back when I first got into the industry, Laurel Birch was one of my favorites and uh, that, that style. Of course, CAFE is now currently a huge thing in our, our store. Uh, Tim Holtz does quite well. Um, and then I know from just experience that blenders, basics, fillers will pull a, th pull a store through. So many people have stashes that have those focus fabrics, have their favorite fabrics there. And when times get tough, they go get those fabrics and bring them in. Hey, we're, we're matching to this. They don't come in with a, a solid green and say, okay, I've got to match to this and give me a focus fabric. So I kind of know how the importance of those, the color wall is what most stores call it. Um, 
And so I, I do have two or three favorite blender lines that I keep in all the time. Um, batiks have always been a favorite of mine. That is something that um, just always, in, back when I first started in the 90s, batiks were, we had them in the store I worked at in Northern California. And I figured all stores at that point had batiks. And I come to find out when I moved Moved to Colorado, most stores in Colorado and, and Nebraska had them. But when I moved back east, there were still a lot of stores in 2012 that did not have boutiques. Now they've pretty much come around and everybody has, has brought them in. But that, that continues to be a favorite of mine, just that the ability to get that color saturation and the bright colors. So um, we, we carry full lines of all of that. Uh, one thing, because of my area being a retirement community, um, we, I have quilters that have been quilting 25, 30, 40 years. And most of these people have got, gone from big homes where they were raising kids and had four and five beds in the house down to, in our community, almost all the houses have two bedrooms. Um, they don't have space to store these big queen and king size quilts anymore. Most of their kids, when they downsize, their kids inherited a lot of quilts and stuff. So uh, a lot of my clientele is not doing these big quilts anymore. Unless there's a graduation or a wedding, something specific, they're not doing these big quilts anymore. So um, the store has evolved a lot in the last two years that I didn't expect it to happen in a way I didn't expect to happen, but I love it, is we've got really did a nosedive into uh, uh, fiber art. We do a lot of art quilts. Um, it turns out that there's a lot of instructors and a lot of quilt artists that have moved down here. They've retired down here with their husbands and they still wanna teach. They still wanna be part of the quilting community. And so I have got just fabulous instructors here and you know, when I first started, they first started coming to me and showing me what they wanted to teach. I was like, well, I don't want to get too many instructors um, that are all doing landscapes because you're going to kind of step on each other's toes. And then I, I watch a class and find out this instructor's techniques are totally different than this instructor's, which is totally different from instructor number three. And people can take classes from all of them and pick up little bits from everybody and then create their own techniques and make it, you know, make it their own. And it, that has been something that has been growing like crazy. We have a, a fiber arts group that meets here once a month. Um, a couple of the local guilds also have fiber arts groups. So I've got an arts corner in my store where we keep uh, foils, where you can um, put metallic foils on fabrics, where we have the, the pens and the paints and just all different embellishing things. We do demos on embellishing. We do demos on applique. We do everything from a very traditional to um, very contemporary. Um, it, that that surprise, has surprised me how well the the fiber arts has really taken off here because that back back in the 90s and 2000s when I was taking a lot of classes, I took fiber art classes, but I wasn't expecting it to go over here as well as it has. Yeah, no, I think that that's uh, I think that's really interesting to consider 
the way that your business has morphed, right? And how you had to adapt your business to the area and to your customers and your clientele. And I think that that's something, you know, as we talk a lot on this show about um, just the future of the quilting industry and how to maintain a profitable store and how to make sure that you're always not on the cutting edge because I don't know that you need to be on the cutting edge of technology as a quilt store owner, but on the cutting edge of, of your market, on the cutting edge of your area and your customers and what they're looking for. And, and for me, I think that that kind of the fiber art portion um, and, and maybe allowing people to show a little bit more creativity rather than build quilts for a kind of utilitarian um, mode, right? We're not necessarily like down in Arizona, you're not necessarily building quilts because people are cold and they need something to cover their beds, right? Yeah, the, um, that's it is basically you have you have to see where the demand is. You know, um, I'm doing quite well with the brights, the the cave and all that. Um, but in some areas, they're more traditional. They want the the darker, the su more subtle fabrics and stuff. And you have you do have to go with where the demand is. Um, now this is kind of a twofold thing because whether you whether you know it or not, uh, you have a tendency to sell what you like. When I first started repping, I was in about a year, year and a half with Shank, and my sales manager came to me and said. You know, you're doing, you know, you have Judy's old territory and your numbers and Judy's numbers, very, very much the same. But what you sell to that territory and what Judy sold, totally different. Now, how is that? I'm, I don't know, because, you know, frankly, when you're a rep, the whole key is to sell bolts. It, it doesn't, it's no skin off your nose, which bolts it off. It is. But obviously, I was su subtly pushing them toward something totally different than what Judy did. And I think here in the store, you, you're going to do the same thing. And I, I love brights. I, and I don't think um, I could sell Civil War and make it work. You know, it's just, that's not my bag. And um, so do, do what you like. One thing that I found as a rep is um, don't worry about what the other stores are doing. You do your thing. You like what you're selling, what you're doing, what you're carrying, and it will work. Yeah. I think that that's a really keen piece of um, advice is that like you really can't build your store around um, – what other stores are doing, right? Uh, whether they're in the area or you see them online, I think um, kind of the piece of, and, and I've heard this on uh, on this podcast before, where um, you're going to sell what you like, right? And, and no matter how much you try to not sell what you like, where you try to just strategize and say, I'm only going to sell what I think is going to be the very best, there's going to be a piece of you that's in it. And, and in my opinion, and, and I think that's what you're saying here, is that that's really what this is about because if you're not selling what you like then what's the point of having a store right I mean sure there's a profitability portion of it and I think that's very important but there's also a passion to owning a quilt shop and 
if you attempt to take the passion out of owning a quilt shop, then what is left, right? Because it's not just a business, it's a passion and a business. And how do you marry those two together in the way that you choose your fabric lines and the way that you do your store layout, the way that you um, choose, you know, the way you do your classes, you know, there's just so much about the passion of, of owning a quilt shop that you just, you can't remove, but you have to scale it, right? You have to say, how do I not only have my passion and how do I make this a business too, right? That's, that's it. That's it. You know, very, very few stores uh, get up to what Missouri Star is. Very few stores are making anybody rich. <laughs> Basically, quilt shop owners are notoriously not in the, the upper 1%. Or, and uh, yeah. you got to do what you like and it, it, your turnout will be, you will be so much more successful if you're carrying what you like. At the same time, it has to be what people are going to ask for. So there is kind of that tightrope you have to walk. Um, uh, and be, be open. You know, my thing is be open to something different, whether if fiber arts may be so far out of your wheelhouse, but it is, it is so neat to get people who have for years and years have been uh, quilted by the rules, all their points matched and, you know, everything. And then tell them, okay, now there are no rules. You know, you are an artist. There are no rules. You do what you want to do. And you can see them evolve and over classes, um, their, their own style comes out. And it, it's really, really neat. It's really neat to watch. Um, now my customers, their big thing is when they downsize, they went from traditional house floor plans to these open down here, all, it's all open concepts, so you don't have walls between the living room and the kitchen. The walls we have all have the windows. Now they're all vying for wall space for all their pieces of art. But, you know, it, it's fun. It's fun to, to watch them grow and, and really just grab a concept and run with it. Yeah. Um. So I, I would say, no, I, I agree. I mean, I love the concept of, of being creative and, and, and then running with it. I want to talk a little more high level as someone who's really seen the quilting industry, not only over a number of years, but also over a number of locations, right? Like your experience throughout, and I'm just going to throw out some states that I might miss, but like throughout, you know, California and then Colorado, and then basically the entire Northeast, right? In, in Pennsylvania, New York and New Jersey and Maryland. And now you own a coach up in Arizona, right? Like, I mean, there you've seen so much of the United States and and been involved in the quilting community throughout the U.S. So as we kind of wrap this this show up, what I want to maybe kind of explore with you is where do you see the the quilting industry going in the next few years um, based on what you've seen? Um, you've seen so many people and so many shops um, and you know, are, are we on the up and up? Are, are we in a transforming industry? Um, what do you think? And, and I know this is a lot of opinion based, it's guessing, but I just, I would love to hear your perspective there. Yes. It, um, there's, there's a lot of speculation and where, where it's going. I think, um, back, back in the nineties, it went from being full range fabric stores to quilt stores, to quilt shops. 
Um, so the quilt industry was kind of chugging along through the 90s and, and into 2000s. And it was, it was kind of holding its own. They, they say that uh, the quilt industry is recession proof. To an extent, back in 2010, I saw a lot of stores really struggle when we were having the, the housing crash and all of that. Um, then it kind of built up again. And um, then COVID happened. COVID, quite frankly, was the best thing that ever happened to the quilt industry. It got people who probably would never have either never gotten into quilting or would not have done it until they retired because they didn't have time until they retired 20, 30 years from now, you know, got so many people into it. Um, having the, having the lockdown and, and access to the internet where they could learn how to quilt, they could do whether it's zoom or uh, YouTube, get on, learn, get patterns and everything. It, the stores that embraced social media did very well, very well. And actually, live, living back in Pennsylvania in that area, there were so many quilt shops. We got all the Mennonites, all the Amish, plus all the English <laughs> quilt shops. It, it was, everybody had a quilt shop in their backyard practically. And I kept saying, you know, some of these smaller quilt shops are taking enough business away from the bigger quilt shops to keep them from really doing a decent and making a living at it. Um, we needed kind of a survival of the fittest. So uh, COVID did that. It did weed out some of those that, their heart really wasn't in it anymore. They were doing just kind of working out of habit, not really the passion for the industry. And that, that to me did was actually good for the industry, good for the stores that had the passion that just needed a little more um, people getting into the, uh, the, the hobby, bringing, you know, get the hobby going. Um, but in the future, I, I think it's going to grow. I think it's it, now that so many more people are quilting than they were five years ago. I think it's going to grow. I think it, I do think it's going to keep evolving. Um, since I've been quilting, this whole modern quilting thing has come around. I, I consider myself not a modern quilter, but more uh, a contemporary because of the K, you know, using the cape and Tim Holtz and things like that. I, I'm still not uh, the modern where I use a lot of solids. I carry solids in the store, but, um, it's, it's something that's just more 30-year-olds, 20-year-olds are getting into, and it's going to continue to evolve. And I think quilt shops will always be needed. I don't think online will completely take over quilt shops. Um, there's just so many people that still need to feel and see and touch and, you know, be in person to compare colors that... Um, it'll never completely go away. Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. And and I think we've seen that, you know, we've seen a little bit of a rebound to in-person shopping um, across all industries, but specifically in the quilt industry, right? I mean, we know that a lot of people went online and obviously, you know, this is a podcast run by Lake. So like, obviously there is an element to 
uh, to this where, you know, I, I see people's websites all the time. You know, I literally look at Quilt Shop websites every single day. Um, and, and yet I still know that the majority of people are shopping in person. And, and, and to be honest with you, that's what I, I hope that that trend continues because I think that that is for the best of the industry. I think it's for the best of, you know, kind of speaking broadly here, humankind, right? I mean, the last thing that we want is for everyone to just stay home and click buy on their, you know, on their computer, right? Like we, I think that there's, there's a piece of that that is great, but there's also a piece of coming in and interacting and meeting someone like you, Lori, where you have, you know, kind of put your passion into the shop and you've put your expertise into the shop and you don't get that online like you do in the store. Um, no matter what, you know, no matter how much you want to work on your online shop, and, and I, I'm a huge proponent of, of having an online presence. I am. But I think that there's that element. Um, and so I think those are kind of my, my final thoughts as, as like, I just, I just want to say, I agree with you. I think that the quilting is here to stay. Um, this is probably my last episode before I see everyone at Quilt Market. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and Lori, just, you know, any final thoughts before we kind of end here? No, it, this has been great. It, um, it it's great that we have this this platform to be able to kind of talk to other quilt shop owners, um, maybe people thinking about opening a store, see what they're in for. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, you know, um, you know, so many, so many times since I opened my store, I I've often wondered how did people open stores that didn't have the background I had. I, I had, if I had a question or had an issue or something, I knew how to get a hold of manufacturers. I knew who to call in the, within the manufacturers. I, my heart goes out to people who are trying to do this from scratch without the, the history I have. Um, but yes, I we're here to stay. The quilt shops are here to stay. Going to class is a great way, social, you know, meet new new people with like interests. I, I've had so many people become friends and after class, after class, start going to lunch together and doing things, other things together. It is, you need that social, you know, we can't all just lock ourselves in our house and, and, sit online and, and quilt all day. We've got, we need the social, we need the contact with them. 100%. That. So yeah, this is, this is a great way to do it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lori. And we're going to go ahead and wrap there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Quilt Shop. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review to let us know what you think. For more interviews with business owners, visit likeso.com slash interviews, where you'll find transcripts, show notes, and videos for all our episodes. Thank you.